I'm just looking at all your shit behind you. You see, I see you're a big Barry Bonds guy. Just read Game of Shadows again. Where are you staying on Barry, Ben? Man, he's a dark, troubled, twisted individual. You know, it's really sad when you go go look back and some of the choices. I don't know how he trusted some of those people to just get into his inner circle so casually. That's like amazing about that era in sports. It's like these dudes from the gym would just show up and give you something out of a bag. And you're like, what? You know, and... I get it though. There's so much at play. I'm, at, I'm working on a, like a, a big piece about him. He's fascinating to me. So I've been going down a Bonds rabbit hole as of late. But dark dude. I remember once being at a game when I was a kid, and and my dad was friends with Dusty Baker, and we were with him underneath Shea, just waiting, sort of in this area where like players could be seen by fans, but fans couldn't really get access. And Bonds just stood there for like an hour and a half, not signing anything, not coming over, nothing. But close enough where you could see it. It was crazy. I remember being young and that was one of those like, oh, your favorite player also wants to pick up your girlfriend in a nightclub. Like there's a whole other side to this thing called sports. You know what I mean? Welcome to Haver Show. I'm Tom Haver Show, as always, joined by my man, uh, Amin Al-Hassan from SiriusXM NBA Radio and the Levitard Show. We are joined today by Ben Lyons, who is Nick's super fan, Nick's lifer, Hollywood writer, producer, broadcaster, everything out of Hollywood. And we so excited to talk to you this week with the Oscars coming up and the Knicks on uh, going streaking ended last night. But we're going to talk some Knicks. I did not watch the Oscars. Yeah, you and everybody else. And I'm apparently not alone here. So I saw that the ratings were god awful for for the Oscars. Were they lowest watched ever? Like it's incredible. My mom met my dad. They had sex. It's amazing. Like John said, I'm here. So mean. Did you watch the Oscars? I watched half of it, like the second half. I I caught on late, and so that sounds like a lie. I watched everything from the second half on. I didn't watch the early stuff, so I missed Daniel Kaluuya, but I uh, I did see. Like all the big ones, all the, and I saw the trivia portion. I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool, a little different, more intimate, the smaller environment, you know, the kind of relaxed. It had the, the feel of a Golden Globes without the alcoholism. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of liked it. I, I dug it. I didn't realize it was going to do that poorly. Why do you guys think it did that poorly? I think there are a lot of reasons, guys. First of all, thanks for having me on. And this just feels like a very Hollywood show to go on because the only way I can get a hold of Amin these days is by going on the radio or podcast with him. (laughs) And Tom, I'm just a fan and I kind of met you in passing over the years, but I don't really know you like that. So we kind of have a Hollywood relationship. So this feels like a very (laughs) Hollywood show right now. Um, but I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. When we were kids growing up, the Oscars was the one place you got to see your favorite stars look and act kind of like human beings, glamorous looking human beings, but they weren't in character. They weren't on set. It was your only access to them, to see them interacting with each other and people you didn't know, know, know each other. And oh my God, they're now you see them every day on their Instagram. They're sharing every you know, portion of their life. So there's no longer that kind of breaking of the wall thing that used to be part of the award show interest. That's my big theory on why sports or or sports ratings and, um, and Hollywood like Oscar night is the same thing is like, we have access to these athletes and we can watch them and get closer to them without having to watch the Saturday um, afternoon ABC game or whatever, like the, the Thursday night NBA game. Like I get, I can get LeBron. I can get access to all these people. And so for the same reason in Hollywood is 
I get to see Matt Damon, what he's like, like just, just normal day life. And I don't get to, I don't need to watch the Oscars to see that, that side of them. And when we were kids, it was the Globes a little bit, and then the Oscars. Now, the Spirits, the BAFTAs, the SAGs, the Critics, there's so many of these shows. And they're not only did those shows existed, but they're just documented differently now. They're with the same amount of media attention and fever, you know, as, as, uh, as the Oscars were. So by the time you've seen Daniel Kaluuya give his 15th acceptance speech of the last five months, it's kind of like, all right, we've, we've seen this before. But I think, you know, listen, what I was really happy about, guys, honestly, the other night was to see how many people were there behind the scenes, publicists, managers, media, catering. The award circuit in Hollywood feeds the town. And without a robust award season this past year and a half, a lot of people have been out of work. And to see the town kind of come back to life a little bit with all the publicists and stylists and people behind the scenes who look at Oscar Sunday as a payday it's a uh, it's a big deal. So they, they have to exist for that reason. And then also, if you can give me another like a way for a film about a Korean family moving to Arkansas, trying to find their way in the world, uh, you know, out into the zeitgeist and get people talking, then please share with the class. Like Hollywood would love to hear your ideas on how to do that. So that's why the Oscars are always going to exist in these award shows to some extent. But yeah, the ratings were really really bad the other night. I understand. I too loved Mortal Kombat. I'm glad to hear that you loved it as well. Then, roughly, give me a guesstimate. How many Oscars have you been to? I think lucky 13. Wow. Yeah, last year I covered with Maria Menounos oh, and Stephen Ace. What? Parasite. They were in the house. They were outside of the house. That's what you saw. <laughs> what a combo, man. I got to be honest, but- Quentin Tarantino, I thought he was robbed. You had Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. I mean, what more do you want? I got yo. I love the idea of like my friend Stephen A. Smith and the lady that shows up at the movie theater before your your movie trailers actually start. All had a show together. Like, <laughs> I put them all together. Like, just put them all in a room. That was one of my favorite Oscars because uh, Maria said something. Wow, you're super tall down there at the end of the carpet. And I said, Yes, I'm the Taco Fall of the Academy Awards. As uh, she's a Celtics fan, and then got the follow from Taco that night on Instagram. That's oh, what, uh, nice. That was, that was big time. That was big time. But yes, I've covered the Oscars in so many different ways over the years. I've been on a rooftop. I've done guessed how much the jewelry costs with the Kardashians. I've uh, I I held uh, Jeffrey Fletcher after he won the Oscar for Precious, and he came off the stage and almost fainted. He was so moved by the moment. I was backstage with Sandra Bullock won. I've had some weird Oscars adventures over the years. This year was my favorite because I watched my dad for the first time since high school. You know, my dad's a film critic, of course, in New York, and I hadn't seen the Oscars with him for like 20 years. So to watch with him and have him kind of ask, who's that? What's that? Oh, do you remember this? And just kind of go back and forth with him was a lot of fun to show. That's awesome, man. Uh, Yeah, that's how, how weird. You know what? I wasn't say how weird is that. Then I remember. I know exactly how weird it is. I watched the NBA Finals with my with my dad <laughs> last year. It was the first time in a long time doing that. Um, what is something about Oscar night that does not get translated through the viewing experience on TV? How nervous and on edge everyone is. Some of the biggest stars in the world are overwhelmed by the energy that existed on that red carpet for years backstage. You know, when I was doing it with Adnan and Sophia Carson for the Academy, we would get set up 
in this backstage area where you know the photos on the press line where they come in with their Oscar and you know, they're kissing the Oscar. We were right there and you'd see like Alicia Vikander or Lupita Nyong'o or you know these people come in with their Oscars and be like, whoa, see Kobe the night he won, just going up to everybody, hugging everyone, one of the most guarded and private people to see him so open. And I think that energy that exists at Oscar Sunday is incredible. And that's something that you don't see is just these big, larger than life icons of our culture really overwhelmed and kind of moved and overcome by the moment. Would you say the Oscars are like the NBA finals? Yes, in a lot of ways where you see lots of media like yourselves circulating. Like I always used to love NBA finals nights. You guys are like on center court right after the game doing some podcast or something. Like there are people in the press, like the bowels of the the Dolby Theater doing podcasts, uploading, you know, footage and things. And the amount of credentialed media from all over the world is something that I really enjoyed with the NBA finals in Golden State, the last couple you know runs that I got to go cover for Turner was that you saw so much press from all over the world and the Oscars has that too. And you guys get it. Like you're very comfortable in an uncomfortable place, a place where people are like, wow, this is my lifelong dream to be here. We're fortunate enough to have been able to cover it or work or be a part of it in different capacities. You're like, I'm very comfortable in a tuxedo across the street from a Hooters on Hollywood Boulevard at three in the afternoon, like doing interviews with the biggest people in the world. Like I'm okay. I'm not overwhelmed by this. So I feel that, you know, for you guys probably feel the same way at the NBA finals. I mean, I could never, I mean, maybe this is a transition for your show. I could never cover this current Knicks team at an NBA finals. Like I would not be <laughs> professional in any way. But I am on Oscar Sunday. With Amin, I remember one time, Amin, you remember when we sat down, I think it was the 24, it was 2015 when the Warriors won and you were like texting some of your guys from the Warriors staff, Alvin Gentry and a couple others. And you were like, I kind of, we were like sitting down to do a pod and you're like, I kind of want to go like share in the celebration a little bit. It wasn't share because, well, I wanted to say, Congratulations, then. But you know, there's a there's an element. Some of your guys like, like had been. This yeah. is the mountaintop for yeah. them, and you're really yeah. proud to see some of your guys make it. Also, it was like five years removed from me working with them, or three year, four, three years removed from me working with them, and to have you know, because the year before, in 2014, I saw Boris win. Boris Diaw, yeah. For that, like, I was like, okay, Boris, man, I'm I'm happy for you. You went out, you find found your way, and you found a championship. But when it's like so many people, you're looking at it like, should I? Was I supposed to be here and I wasn't? Like, did I miss the boat? Is this like it is the highest level of FOMO I've ever felt in my life? That first one they won. After that, it was cool. But that first one, it was mind blowing FOMO because it's like I worked with all of you. You worked for me. In the case of some of the guys, like you, you, I was your superior, and now here I am on the night they clinch in Cleveland because my suitcase didn't make it. I'm wearing a hoodie and sweats. Yeah, I forgot about that. Hanging out with us slapdicks on the court. Like, I got to record this podcast? Like, come on. <laughs> it came in handy because when I hugged everybody, they were all covered in champagne. So it, it didn't. I didn't mess up my nice clothes, as they say. Now, there's definitely something, as you guys can can relate, of as you cover these, these beats as long as we have, where you do root for certain people or you understand how hard somebody has fought to get where they are or the things they've had to overcome or, you know, all that stuff definitely comes into play. I mean, it was amazing this, this past Oscars to see 
you know, Trayvon Free uh, win for, you know, two distant strain. Oh, God, it's so good. Oh, Hi. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, today, the police will kill three people. And tomorrow, the police will kill three people. And the day after that, the police will kill three people because on average, the police in America every day kill three people, which amounts to about a thousand people a year. And those people happen to disproportionately be black people. And, you know, James Baldwin once said, the most despicable thing a person can be is indifferent to other people's pain. And so I just ask that you please not be indifferent. Please don't be indifferent to our pain. Mike Conley and Kevin Durant, and we got connected earlier this year. I'd seen the film months ago and really talked with him and his team about, okay, how do we get it out there? How do we get people seeing this movie, talking about it, you know, and to see, you know, how a film can kind of release itself into the zeitgeist or Sundance. I mean, Minari was at Sundance 15 months ago. I was sitting in the lobby with the kid, Alan Kim, like the little boy in Minari, just chatting with him. And now 15 months later, you see them at the Oscars. Like, I love that about Hollywood. You get a real run. You get like a little like six months, 12 months where you, you, you touch them along the way and you find ways to support the films you believe in. And yeah, you get that kind of, ah, I'm rooting for that person a little bit. We had Liz Hanna on a few a few weeks ago. Uh, Liz Hanna, of course, wrote Longshot. I saw Longshot, Tom, because Ben Lyons hooked it up. He got me the the passes to the to the preview. So, uh, what is the most? I guess not. I won't say most exciting, but the thing that you saw before everybody else that you said, "Oh, this one's about to be a banger." I remember seeing Whiplash at Sundance opening night, and traditionally at Sundance, the opening night movie can be a little questionable. Yeah, how does that work? So what, put, me, put me at Sundance. Sundance is in Park City, Utah, which is a ski town, you know, and has a lot of makeshift movie theaters, the biggest one being the Eccles Theater in the high school there. It holds about 1,200 people, but it's in a high school. The rest of them are kind of in a library and pop-up tents. So even if you have credentials, even if you have tickets, even if you're there for work, you still got to kind of fight for your seat. You're in coats and gloves and all things, right? Oh, okay. I was like, wait, everyone has to dress up like it's like, like, 19th century okay well yeah. listen we're all hollywood people as my mother-in-law lives in utah he says the people in black are coming because coming down that escalator in utah sundance it's all people oh, in black, like north the people Eight. in black yes the people in black are coming yes the people like, what? <laughs> so your mother-in-law is making a comment about utah being like the people in black are coming watch out <laughs> but so all the hollywood folks are in there but so thursday night you know not as many people come the festival really gets underway friday saturday sunday so thursday night often the move the opening night movie can be I don't know, kind of a conversation starter, questionable, or traditionally hasn't been the hot movie of the festival. A little bit of a wild card. Yes, exactly. Friday or Saturday night, Sunday night tends to be the movies that people really are buzzing about. But Whiplash was one of those movies where I'd seen firsthand, I'd known Miles for a long time, how much he had put into that role. We'd be on the golf course and his hands would be bleeding because he'd oh my been God. training for the drumming for months and months and months. He had all these cuts on his hands. This is before the film came out. So then to see it at Sundance in January, and then it's, the, it's like 13 months later when J.K. Simmons wins the Oscar, to see that run from sort of my courtside seat 
was really special. And then I remember that Oscar year, I went on Colin Cowherd's show doing the, the predictions and stuff. And I, I talked about how Whiplash is really a sports movie. You know, how it reminded me of my high school basketball coach. Lions, you're a senior and you didn't get back on defense. Like, you know, really, really intense. And sure enough, the next day I got an email from the Razor himself, the legend Ray Vokel. The Razor. The collegiate school varsity basketball coach. He said, oh, I don't know if I was a yeller or I was passionate, but just seeing his email in my in- inbox just gave me the shivers. It gave me totally freaked out. But that was one. I remember seeing Black Swan and walking out of the theater at Toronto and being like, just give her the Oscar. Like, it's done. Um, I remember seeing Foxcatcher at Cannes. Uh, my wife and I, it's our first date, which is not really a romantic movie, but uh, <laughs> we're at the Cannes Film Festival. You didn't like the subtle homoerotic tensions between a, a billionaire <laughs> and, and a wrestling team? Subtle. That helicopter scene was a little, like, crazy. Um but I remember seeing that and being like, yo, Steve Carell's going to get an Oscar nom. And everybody was like, you're a clown. You're the dumbest. You're so stupid. You said I Am Legends, one of the great movies of all time, which I never actually said. But sure enough, <laughs> oh, no, Steve no. Carell get the Oscar nomination. You're like, wow, I, I kind of was on that one early, you know? Rewind back to this controversial <laughs> I Am Legend take. So here's the, here's the story, right? So I saw it was a double feature. They were doing junkets one weekend. It was like National Treasure 2, we got a sandwich, and then it was I Am Legend, right? And my parents were out there for that weekend or whatever, and I remember we went to the double feature, and I walked out of the theater and I emailed the publicist from Warner Bros. I love I Am Legend. I think it's an amazing movie. It still holds up. I, I stand by loving that movie. Prescient. But I emailed the publicist. Wow, thank you so much. I Am Legends, one of the greatest movies ever made, exclamation point. Here are my quotes if you want to use them, like underneath. Uh, <laughs> kind of got, got jerked on that one. But, you know, it's a movie that made over $700 million. It's a movie that is in – there's talks of a prequel with Mark Wahlberg, so he understands big money. And I think there's a, a beautiful quality, that, uh, that movie, about uh, sort of the idea of believing in a higher power and hope. And this idea that, you know, there is, a, there is a will and there is a way to survive. So I stand behind that movie, but I didn't actually say that quote. If there's anybody out there, anybody, please, you are not alone. Were they zombies or were they vampires? Settle this. I think they were like a personification of his fears and insecurities. Maybe they Wow, actually- you went deep oh, it, there, Ben. You went too deep. Wow. Uh, no, no. No. How much of this is just a reaction to the fact that you had to watch National Treasure 2 before lunch? Oh, yeah. Right, before that prosciutto sandwich in a box at the AMC Century City. I'm going to miss, you know, I miss those days at the theater having those like, you know, like little, I remember going to a screening of Biodome with my dad and he got kicked out for bringing two slices of pizza. He like snuck them in his trench coat. To Biodome, like that's that's like a cathedral. Guys, it's Biodome. Can't be bringing in pizza. There's a theater on like 104th on Broadway. Yeah, exactly. Have some respect, Mr. Lyons. Here's the other Baldwin. We got uh, Pauly Shore and I'll never make it a filter. Like that movie was one of my favorite uh, childhood movies that you watch now. And you're like, what the fuck was that movie about? Like, how did that? Ahead of its time. Are you kidding? We're like, we're getting closer to a biodome where we got Elon Musk hosting Saturday Night Live coming up. Like we're getting there, guys. We built a whole podcast around that premise, Tom. <laughs> this is my favorite movie growing up. And then I, what was I thinking? Maze? Batman and Robin much? <laughs> yeah, nostalgia definitely 
plays a factor, I think, for everybody involved. Amin's favorite movies are all the ones that he went to see when he was in high school in the mid-90s and came out and quoted them for the next six months. So Yeah, I know Amin was mad Oscar Sunday when they didn't acknowledge that they were in the room where Can't Hardly Wait finally brought together a lot of big storylines. Oh, my God. That, that's the same note I had, too. <laughs> I love Can't Hardly Wait. What a great movie. I would love to hear a podcast of you guys interviewing the casting director for a movie like that, because films like that, that have so many people at the right time in their career, I think are- Do people blow up off of that? Do casting directors blow up off of that? I think so. You know, I have a friend named Nicole Daniels. She does a wonderful job. She casts all the Sofia Coppola movies. um, And that, you know, cool factor has gotten her to sort of catapult of, oh, wow, you put together for like the cast of the movie. Like that was pretty cool. The movie wasn't great, but- Wow, that was like really cool casting. Yeah, that's that. I guess that's what I mean because right now, like, I'm watching for Cinephobe smoking aces, and at some point, I'm like, "Damn, this cast is pretty deep, man." But they're all kind of established, as opposed to a movie like Can't Hardly Wait, where you have all of these relative, not say unknowns, but say, call them fresh faces, right, or whatever you want to call them. And so, I, like, I, I got to thinking, do are like they're like Moneyball casting directors who are out here like. Him, her, her, him, him, her. They're going to blow up. Look up the film Short Term 12. Short Term 12 is a Sundance movie. Another one of those movies where I saw it and was like, yo, these kids are crazy. Brie Larson stars. She's uh, the woman who runs kind of a, a detention center for troubled teenagers. Lakeith Stanfield, Rami Malek. Like the oh, cast. Wow. There's like five of them. Oh, wow. The casting director for this. Like, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, that movie's nuts. Did she blow up? Like, I mean, you can't have all of these these picks this this far back and and not have like people looking you up right at some point like hey should be our hustle there we go why don't we just become agents for casting directors yeah this person's got their case that's got to exist already no yeah yeah they do (laughs) money in hollywood they've found it are you not gonna get very far apparently that's already been uh, yeah they're nft your favorite casting directors in hollywood oh my god there was a movie called High School USA that came out in 1983. And I'll never forget it because the cast was Michael J. Fox, Crispin Glover, Todd Bridges, Dana Plato, Bob Denver. Okay, that one wasn't. Much of a- <laughs> you just made up a name, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but even like there's a recent Richard Linkletter movie about baseball. The, I forget, forget the name. Everybody wants some. Everybody wants some. And, uh, you know, Zoe Deutsch has her a scene at the end of the movie. She's perfectly cast in it. And it's her first role. And she's gone on to, you know, pop up in a lot of stuff and is a star. And it's cool to see those moments. Uh, Kate Hudson's brother's in that, too. Charlie Hudson. It's his first thing. And Glenn Powell. Yeah, Glenn Powell. Another one. Right. That's- Wyatt Russell. Yeah, Wyatt Russell. That's his name. Why did I call him Charlie Hudson? Charlie Hudson's a cool alter ego if you like check into a hotel or like. I see. I would say Charlie Hudson sounds like the uh, backup catcher for like a triple A team. It's Tim Hudson's cousin. And then the best golfer in Hollywood is Oliver Hudson. Hands down. Scratch golfer. Should have been on tour. Ernie Hudson. Is Tim Hudson related to the Hudsons? The Hollywood Hudsons? I executive produced a movie once with Ernie Hudson. There you go. Winston Zedmore. Ghostbusters. (laughs) I mean, how about that? I just turned into Stugatz all of a sudden. Ben, I watched this movie called Trees Lounge, which was directed by Steve Buscemi. It was a little indie movie he made around the time he was in Coen Brothers movies like Fargo and uh, Big Lebowski. And it's just this little movie he made in New York. But one of the people that saw it was David Chase of The Sopranos and loved it. 
And so he brought in the same casting director from Trees Lounge. There's like six people from The Sopranos in Trees Lounge. And then that's why he gave Buscemi directing jobs. And that's why Buscemi directed Pine Barrens. And the Russian, you never know if the Russian's ever going to come back. And Amin hates on The Sopranos, but... Now you guys are onto something. Looking, looking at your favorite shows and figuring out who the casting directors are and trying to find their work. It's kind of like once you find out, like Amin's always told me, like when you are looking at trade rumors or free agency stuff, like figure out where the agents are. Like the agent behind the scenes, like you can start to see how different the constellation of different players in the league and why they're always linked together or different coaches. And which is a great segue to talk about the Knicks. Oh, yeah. Talking about Leon Rose chatting it up with Devin Booker before the game last night. We can talk about that if you guys want to. And CP3, uh, Tom Thibodeau making the joke. Uh, yeah, CP, I don't know if he likes that uh, that Leon Rose guy. To say that you guys had interest, but Chris didn't have interest in coming to New York right now? Yeah, I, I, well, I don't think he liked the president here. There's so many things with the Knicks that we can get into here. But first, I want to ask you, um, what were your expectations as a Knicks fan this year? Because they were picked to be one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the NBA. But you had Tom Thibodeau, and you had Leon Rose, where it's like, we're Wide West and Leon and Tom Thibodeau, and we're just getting a bunch of Kentucky Calipari guys or CAA guys. Like It just seems like seems like this is not going to work out. What was your uh, interpretation of, of their offseason coming into this year? Guys, this is a uh, the cover of the New York Post when uh, Obi Toppin had his first preseason game. I figured I should save this, maybe turn it into an NFT one day. This is uh, this is what my expectations were. I wanted to save every moment from this historical and magical season, where I honestly expected them to win twenty seven games. Now, who am I kidding? This team was such a cast off of misfit toys and just. But you know, ultimately, I think it's it's something, Tom, that like everyone in the NBA can learn from is that you don't have anybody on this team who thinks there's someone else. You don't have anybody who's getting serious money, long-term guaranteed money, is told they're a starter, and you know they average 12 and 5 and, and punch fire extinguishers. Like you don't have whoa, whoa, we're not, Miami, no, we're not going to do this. Wow. We're not going to do this. No, we're going to take out my guy. I just sideswipe yeah. my guy. I'm all right, man. Nobody wanted to play in New York. We don't have guys giving nicknames like Tsunami Poppy and CarMax commercials and can't stay on the floor and make a shot. So we've got guys who understand their status in the league and got hope, man. Yeah, hope and heart. That's all you need. It's so oh, much wow. fun. It's so much fun. They play hard every night. There's no dead money. You can't name two forwards who have had a better season than Julius Randle. I'm loving this team so much. They put their hard hat on and grab their lunch pail and they go to work. Wow. No Nobody's doing fashion week. Fashion week's been shut down. Nobody's going to Tao. There's no nights where you're going to the club and your coach already has a table. Like, well, there's none of that this year. So it's it feels great, guys. I mean, Tom Thibodeau, straight out of hard-hitting New Britain. Come on. Man, I love the throwbacks of his tracksuits back in the day and the mullet. Now he's just stressed out. It's great. This motherfucker just went through the ghosts of Nickmas Pass right there. Ah! Everything he said, there's no this and there's no that. Like, that's all. That's not like just random pulls. Those are all specific stories. One. Two, uh, I, we had Charlie Ward on Sirius XM NBA Radio probably a month and a half, two months ago. And we asked him about his memories of Tibbs. And he said his first memory of Tibbs was Tibbs was coaching the Summer League team. And he said they had a three-hour practice <laughs> <laughs> for, for Summer League. <laughs> 
I love the story that leaked this weekend. They had to close the gym on Sunday because everyone was going to come work out. They had to close the gym. Oh, or you know, teams love leaking those kind of oh, Randall's showing up in cities and working in old high schools and the high school custodian saying no one's done this since Kobe. I mean, there's just something special about this season. I'm still waiting on the two forwards. I mean, I'm still waiting on the two forwards better than Randall. I'll tell you what's special about it. What's special is the idea of telling people to tell, hey, by the way, we went to go work out at this gym. Ask this dude if you don't believe us. <laughs> Oh my God. I, that's my least favorite thing about the NBA. The, look how hard I'm working. Isn't it Zach Harper's bit about taking, uh, doing a shooting session after the game? Oh, and that's... just making sure the cameras are on. Just, oh yeah. my God, I can't believe it. Oh, he came out back out onto the American Airlines Arena floor to get an hour of extra shots. Inclu- you guys remember in the finals when LeBron missed that shot from that one spot and then the next day at media availability? He was just shooting from the same spot over and over again. And it was weird because he's on this side and the media is all like at half court and then on the sidelines and everyone was dead fucking silent. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, I was the asshole. Why is everyone so quiet? I just said it like that because it's like ridiculous. What is it? We have to observe silence because he's shooting. He does it in louder environments than this. This is all part of your your big rant about the of golf and that golf isn't a real sport because you have to be quiet during the backswing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Challenge flag on the field there. Only sport you get better at as you get older. Only sport where you have two, three opponents, your opponent, yourself, and a higher power. What are you guys talking about? Oh, it's not me, Ben. It's not me. This is a me. Number one, if it's a sport that you get better at as you get older, that tells you it's not a sport. There you go. By the way, hold on. Isn't that the game of life? Don't you get better as you get older in the game of life? Life is not a sport. That's my point. <laughs> that's, that's the point. <laughs> One, two, three opponents. Okay. Yourself, I'll take it. A higher power. I mean, if you believe that sort of thing, sure. But not your opponent. Yeah, if you're playing match play against someone and he scored a three, I have to get two in order to beat him. But you're not always playing match play, though. You're playing lots of different games. If I, he, my opponent goes out and shoots 85, I got to go shoot 84. Your opponent shot 85, you got to go shoot 84. Transfer your brain into the brain of your opponent. Basically, the guy that went first, he's not going up against it. He's just trying to score as low as possible. Yeah, he knows. He knows about me. There, He knows about what I'm about. He knows I'm going to come knows with that about 84. Me. Yeah, he knows. It's horseshit. I can't, let it, I can't risk it. I can't lay, lay it out there. Is it, is it golf more of a sport than basketball where if you have a bad game, you can still win? If you, Amin Hassan, if you're, if you're RJ Barrett and you shoot two for 15. Right. And, and your opponent... You can still win the game despite having a bad performance. But in golf, you can't, you can't survive like that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. If my opponent shot 85 and I shot 84, guess what? 84 is not good, Tom. 84 is terrible. It isn't. In, in, that, in that scenario, it was good enough that day. It's windy. There's wind and the traps are... Tom, okay. Okay, you're right. It is in that situation. Kind of like shooting three for 13 is not bad in a situation where you won by one point. No. I want to do a radio show again, and I just don't know where we should do it. Where should we do a radio show? We take calls from listeners and we interact live kind of feel like we should get that back going well i saw that levitar got 50 million dollars from DraftKings, and so i was excited but then i realized i looked at my my mailbox and i realized i didn't have anything <laughs> not a letter nothing in there the direct deposit hasn't hit yet no it hasn't hit so i would say 
given that it's not going to be us on Metal Arc, then I'd say let's do it on stereo. Oh, yeah, stereo. The place where you can get uh, drop-in audio, you just download the app and you're able to listen and interact and ask questions to me and you? Yeah, it's pretty simple. You, the listener, you go, you go to the App Store or the Google Marketplace, whatever they call it, download stereo, you create this little avatar yourself, it's totally free, and then you subscribe to my handle, at Darth Amin, and Tom's handle, at Haberstro. And when you subscribe to us, you'll get an alert when we get our show. Our show will be Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. So if you're listening to this podcast early Wednesday morning, it's going to be later tonight. And then once you get in there, you can leave a little voice note, question, comment, whatever. We play it on the show. We answer it. And also we're watching the Wednesday night games at the same time. So giving you a little real-time analysis. It's awesome. It's the highlight of my week. I don't know why we didn't do the last few weeks, but let's keep it going. We'll give it a try. Stereo app, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We'll watch the uh, Wednesday night games. These are national games, so everybody can watch. We'll also check around on uh, League Pass. We'll bounce around the league. I love listening to B. Delgado, my guy. I want to hear him back in my yeah. life and give us a recap. Oh. He briefs us on all of the podcasts in the NBA, so we don't have to sit through them. He gives us the cliff notes and all the listeners during the stereo show. Yeah, I regret missing the big blow up between Brian Windhurst and Tim Bontemps. I want to hear the Delgado recap of that one. Stereo app. Download it, follow at Darth Amin, at Haberstroh to check out when we're going to do Haberstroh Live on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. But Tom, you mentioned that if R.J. Barrett goes 2 of 15, he has a bad game, but you forgot to mention that R.J. Barrett is the second highest scorer in the second half in the NBA in the last 30 games. Ben, your obscure stats here are amazing. It's amazing. The name two forwards that are better than Julius Randle. This season. No, 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 no. That's not what I said. Challenge flag on the field. I said name <laughs> two forwards who have had a better season this year. All NBA. No, he's got a point. Me and Zach Harper came to this realization last Thursday. He might like he's first team all NBA because every other forward you could name is pretty much hasn't played a full season. All right, Kawhi. He's been injured in and out of the lineup. Kawhi's missed a lot of game, yeah. Whoa, I mean, a lot? Ben Lyons is praying that Luka is classified as a guard. That's what he's praying for, the higher power. Kawhi Leonard has played 46 out of 60 games. And they're doing okay without him. Something tells me their record in those games is, is no. Well, you, well, we can't. We're not going to play that game though. Like, oh, did they fall apart when he didn't play? But, but I think you have a strong argument in that. Other than Giannis. Every other forward, Kawhi, Durant, LeBron, Davis. Zion? Zion hit his 10th three the other night on 30% shooting for the season. That's amazing. Randall has 133s on 41% shooting. Are you joking? Double assists, more rebounds, better team. What? Not cool enough sneakers? Come on. <laughs> Wait, you can't be hating on Zion. You're recruiting. You're openly recruiting this guy. Ben, what was your what was your reaction when you saw not what he said, the way he said it? New York is the mecca of basketball. Uh, I love I love playing. I love playing here. Uh, when I played here in college, and this is my first time playing here in the pros. And I mean, this this atmosphere, you know, whether they're cheering for you, whether they're booing for you, uh, it's amazing. Uh, uh, honestly, I think outside of New Orleans, obviously. Uh, 
I think this might be my favorite place to play outside of New Orleans. I can't even lie to you. I can't lie to you. Ben, we have contacts here. We can send Zion a clip of you saying he shouldn't be all NBA and get it to him. And then he might be like, you know what? I don't want to go to the Knicks anymore. Or, or he might be like, you know what? That's exactly the kind of challenge I need to r- push myself to rise to the occasion. <laughs> this is the New York media. This is what this is the cauldron that I'm, I'm inception I'm, that dude. He's a smart guy. We need to inception that, you know? Um, honestly, it was it was my reaction was this when Zion said that the other night. Huh. <laughs> oh man. I hadn't thought about that. Can you can you turn your head a little bit and just start blinking? Like, huh. Huh. Ben, let me ask you something, man, because I, I deal with this in the group chat of my friends and family who are all from New York and all crazy Nick fans. Like, how do you guys wake up every day? with this insane optimism. I get it. This year has been good. Those other, like, nine million days in a row where it's just, it should be misery. I can't speak for Knicks fans everywhere. I can't speak for, is there a Knicks nation? I don't know which teams get nations or not anymore, but I can only speak for myself. As you guys know, I grew up the son of New York's biggest Boston Red Sox fan. My father would wear his Red Sox hat to 161st Street in the Bronx and entire subway cars would see him and chant, Lion sucks, Lion sucks, when I was like 10 years old, okay? Now, I'm going to show you guys, and our, uh, our listening audience will have to bear with us, but I'm at my family's home, spending some time with my family, and I'm walking upstairs to my father's desk. This is where he sits and does his writing. He's got two new books coming out this spring, shameless plug. One about Hemingway, and then one about the Red Sox. And this is his desk, okay? Do you oh see the Lord. number of – they're not action figures. They're McFarlane's. They're, they're statues. They're, they're his inspiration. So it shows you – this is – he's got the, the Red Sox uh, – what do we got? The Fenway, uh, the Fenway seats. Hey, look at that. You got the Red Sox hat on the Emmy there, right? So Desecration. He's a man who quotes a French philosopher when asked, how can a native New Yorker – be such a Red Sox fan. He says the heart has reason that reason itself knows nothing about. There is a, again, higher power. What's the real reason that he's a Red Sox now fan? Now seeing my father having won four World Series in the last 20 years. That's what you think? This is music to my ears. Have the audacity, I mean, after they swept, after they beat the Dodgers in five, he said to me, oh, they should have swept when I called him to congratulate him. That level of entitlement now and arrogance for someone who mind you had entire subway cars chanting i saw my father pass out in the shower in 1986 at disney world when bill buckner had the ball go underneath his legs so to see that i'm like okay i gotta just tough it out when they arrest charles oakley when they kick out spike lee when they trade steve novak in a first round pick for andrea bargnani when they draft marty collins like i have to stay with this team when I get Ronaldo Bachman on Cameo, you've like wedding messages from my friends. I have to stay on this. Do you, so do you live with a fear of like the day that you just give up on this shit is the moment it all turns around? Already happened to me. I've lived through it, which is why I have to keep doing it. I was a diehard, lifelong Philadelphia Eagles fan growing up in New York City. I loved the Eagles. I loved Randall Cunningham. And then one day... I went to the uh, Link Lincoln Financial Field or whatever it's called now, and I saw, I, I, I saw the depths of hell. Is what I saw. It was like being on the set of Mad Max. It was like chains and trash cans on fire. I saw a woman throw a beer at another woman. Like it was intense and terrible. Sounds like a Sunday. I denounced the Eagles. I went to the beach. I had a ceremony, a meditation. I buried all my Eagles love into the depths of the ocean. 
where Megatron and Osama bin Laden are in the depths of the ocean. And I said to myself, I'm not an Eagles fan. I became a Rams fan. And I got in from the ground oh. floor, four and 12. I was praying so hard that you said, you're going to say, and that's when I became a Jets fan. No, <laughs> Rams fan. But then the Eagles won. Yeah. And everyone was hitting me up. And I could have done that like, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. No, I saw the video of the guy eating horse shit. Just Google Eagles Super Bowl horse shit and you'll see someone eating horse shit to celebrate. And I said, these are not my people. I did the right thing. A lot of things to do to celebrate. You don't drink champagne. You don't go like hug your wife and kids. You don't do, you just eat a pile of horse shit off the street. Now, did he lose a bet? Where they were like, I bet you they won't. You're celebrating the Eagles no, winning. No, this is deranged. This is deranged. When Alfred Payton has his John Paxson moments, you will not see me eating horse shit on Central Park South. So you made a big mistake, Ben. In 2004, Game 3, uh, my family are big Red Sox fans. My dad's from Cohasset, Massachusetts. Uh, he went to college at Harvard, which is not a drop because when I say that, Harvard. it's happened to me so many times in my life, I now have to do the opposite. I go and like... People are like, oh, so how did you become a Red Sox fan? And I'll be like, oh, my dad's from uh, from Massachusetts, and he went to a, a college in in uh, in Boston. And they'll be like, just say it. I'm like, what? When people say my dad went to a college in Boston, they all know what you're saying because otherwise you would have just said it. So I end up having to just say Harvard, and people are like, oh, like react like a mean. But when it's more pretentious to just like obscure like erase where he went to school because i know it's going to generate that reaction don't you also as you get older realize that that's super killer and amazing and aspirational and your dad no because like- i get shit like from a mean being like oh your oh. daddy went to harvard look harvard. at this guy yeah, he's super smart and awesome i mean what Har- well, yeah no his dad is yes <laughs> <laughs> so so fast forward 2004 now ben you'll you'll know this i grew up in westport connecticut Okay, so every one of my friends are Yankees fans, every single one of them. When Aaron Boone, his first at bat of the game, there's a fly ball deep to left. It's on its way. There it goes. And the Yankees are going to the World Series. Aaron Boone has hit a home run. In 2003, Aaron fucking Boone hit the home run over the Green Monster. Tim Wakefield's knuckleball that didn't knuckle and it just went fucking to, to New Hampshire. It was the darkest day of my high school, like years, right? So 2004, my dad says, I got tickets to go to Fenway. You and my, and my two older brothers can go to game three, ALCS against the Yankees. Kevin Brown was pitching. Uh, Derek, like this was the worst of game of the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry for Red Sox fans. It was game three, down Oh three, the score, I shit you not, was 19 to 8. That's rock bottom. And all of the fa- Yankees fans in the in Fenway Park were screaming 1918. And we lost by 19 to 8. Damn, okay? man. That, those are the days, man. That 1918 chant. Boy, oh. that, shit was, that shit used to hit so hard, man. <laughs> so hard, man. So this is oh. this is this is the bottom of the barrel. But you get it. See, you understand. You understand faith and hope and belief and the idea that you can be down 3-0 and Dave Roberts can steal a base and the world can change forever. I get it. So why can't this happen with Emmanuel quickly? I mean, there are there are grown men crying everywhere in the bottom of the ninth or in the ninth inning, when you're down 19 to 8 and you're down 0-3 against the Yankees again, 
Like it's all happening again. The only people left in Fenway Park were degenerate Red Sox fans that were ready to just hang it up like you did with the Eagles. You're like, this is not healthy what we're doing to ourselves. Like every, people are crying in the stands. Like, why are we doing this? And then it happened. So you get it. That's my reason for why do I stick through this franchise? Why do I stay with, you know? But like the Zion thing, like, do you really think you're going to get Zion? Like, do you, or are you just like, you know what? It's part of my DNA to hope that Kevin Durant's going to sign here. And then he doesn't. There's going to be another Kevin Durant. And when LeBron says no, you get Amare and you're like, hey, there's going to be another one that we can get. And it turns out you, you end up with this hope. I thought I'd learned my lesson and I will forever hate Jared Dudley because of this. Because in 2010, when it was the decision time, Jared Dudley put on Twitter, I have inside sources that he's going to the Knicks, you know, he's trying to be a media guy back then, right? So at the time I'm thinking, well, Jared Dudley might be onto something here, you know? And Rachel Nichols is doing a hit outside of the garden. They got the Vuvuzelas going for LeBron. Vuvuzelas, forgot about those. Yeah. And, the, you know, he takes his talents to South Beach and I was heated. And I went right to, I had to go to a screening of the Prince of Persia. So I was like extra heat. And the publicist was like trying to relate as I was checking in. And she was like, hey, LeBron's going to Miami. You know, you're a sports guy. And I was like, fuck that. Fuck that. I totally just lost it. Oh, man. Lost it. You were one of those guys. Oh, came out of the theater after Prince of Persia. I was like, I'm so sorry. Like that was, yeah. The Athletic came out with uh, the behind-the-scenes story about the video that they made, the Knicks made, to recruit uh, LeBron to New York. And one of the features in that was the last time Edie Falco and James Galdolfini appeared on screen as the Sopranos. They did a, They literally came out of retirement from those roles to do that one last time to get LeBron to come to New York. Ben Lyons, first of all, Yes or no question. Have you seen this tape? I have not seen the video. I have okay. seen the Toby Maguire, like Lakers recruiting video for LeBron. How much, how much would you pay for a copy of this video? Oh, I would, I would pay as much as I'm getting for this podcast. No. <laughs> you wouldn't pay. I thought, what do you mean? I thought we were doing something. What do you, I would pay somebody. What do you mean? No, I, uh, I, I would, and then listen, I would love to see it because I'm fascinated. This is why I would love to see it. No, I wouldn't pay money to see it. Because I'm fascinated with the Knicks organization's attempts to control the narrative. The narrative is so outside the garden walls, and they'll never understand that. But when they try and present you with, hey, you know, fill out your all-star ballot for Michael Doliak or Howard Isley or something. Or when they try and tell you that, hey, the Knicks City Dancers and the 7th Avenue Squad are going to be at the Rucker Park. Come meet Larry Johnson. Like, everything's fine, guys. We're not... 30 games under 500 in April and giving out free food on the last night of the year, which was an annual tradition. I absolutely loved at the garden fan appreciation night to see a stockbroker with like 15 John George sandwiches is amazing. <laughs> I love that. So the idea that they had to, it wasn't Spike who shot it and it wasn't Woody Allen. So I'm curious who shot it. And my friends, uh, Ariel Showman and Henry juice just shot those black and white commercials that they've been running on a loop this year. Right. They did catfish and, and, the. Uh, you know, uh, per, uh, paranormal movies, but I wonder who directed that. I got to see that. I didn't know. I didn't know it was the last time they were on screen for the Sopranos. That's kind of historic thing. Yeah, it is. 
that didn't get LeBron passing up heat culture, Pat Riley championships, seeing what the last episode. I mean, if I was LeBron, I'd be like the Sopranos were a a New Jersey family. They were in New York. Yeah. Now they do that for LeBron. And he's like, actually, I'd like to be an executive producer on a prequel to the Sopranos. And that'll be part of my deal in New York. But do you guys follow my theory that he could have saved the world if he had come to New York? What there? No. Sorry. Explain this. No, if LeBron had come to New York in 2010, the city would have been on fire. Hotels are filled through the springtime because the finals are there. Businesses booming, bars, restaurants, media. It's the center of media in America. So more newspapers being sold. Everything goes up in New York. And New York is a beacon of the modern world. So everything in America goes up. So if everything in America goes up, doesn't everything in the world go up? It's not Cleveland. Like LeBron in Cleveland. Earlier in in the pod, you said, Oscar Sunday puts a lot of food on a lot of tables, right? That's what LeBron did in Cleveland. I mean, I was in the streets on Saturday. Like, it was brunch like it was Sex in the City Part 3 after the Knicks beat the Raptors. The city was on fire on Sunday. Entire subway cars were chanting, go New York, go New York, go. It was ridiculous on Saturday. Call City Hall, get the permits. What do you guys, you guys have no idea how dark it's been. You have no idea. This is worse than doing a radio show with Ross. (laughs) Anytime the Knicks do anything, Roz just turns into like this insufferable Nick fan. That's all we got, man. We get this once every 10 years. It's like a super moon or like a wolf moon or whatever those historic moons that cap- <laughs> capture everyone's attention. for The harvest moon? Oh, it's the blood moon today. Oh, it's, yeah, the Knicks are good for the first time in a decade. Ben, what is the lowest moment? Tom just told you his lowest moment as a Red Sox fan was game three, 2004 losing 19-8. What was your absolute rock bottom lowest moment as a Knicks fan? I'm going to bring it back to Can't Hardly Wait. Remember Jerry O'Connell's character in Can't Hardly Wait? He's the college guy who used to be the big guy in high school. He shows up, right? I made a deal with somebody my freshman year of college. She was a senior in high school. I said, if you take me to game five of Knicks Raptors at the Garden, I will go with you to the high school prom. Oh, wow. The Knicks lost game five. Yeah. Chris Childs, right? Chris Childs. Chris Childs gave him 24 in game four. Chris Childs talking about he eat raw onions before the game like he did at the CBA. It's a, oh, I remember that shit, yeah. Yeah, and then they didn't make the playoffs for like another like 100 years. But I had to, I had to after that game, go to a high school prom as like a Jerry O'Connell like college guy. How much longer after that, after that loss, was the prom? It was like 10 days or something, you know? It was a first round. Oh, wow. So that shit was fresh. And I don't buy this. Your lowest moment as a Knicks fan is after a playoff run? That's dark. No, it, was a, it wasn't a playoff run, Tom. Not a playoff run. A playoff appearance. But I'm just saying, like... They just come off the Eastern Conference Finals. People forget. 99, they went to the finals. 2000, they go to the conference finals. Like, this team still had something. They lose in the first round. Then they don't win a playoff game for another 13 years after that. So that's a low moment. So that should be your lowest point. 13 years after that, there's got to be a low point that's lower than, hey, we lost game five to the Raptors. It gets lower. We've settled We've settled into the discomfort now. We've settled into the discomfort. Honestly, being this stressed out in April and May, is it's too much. I got other things to do. I'm going to back Ben up here because I was thinking about what is the worst sporting loss of my life. And it was when Brazil lost to Germany like 7-1 in the semifinals. Yeah. Like, I cried that day. I never cry about sports. I literally wept because it was just like, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose. But, like, 
You can't let them, you can't fucking, they can't get d- destroyed. Like in Brazil, by the way, the game was in Brazil. Being by myself in a bar in Houston to watch Roy Hibbert block Mello and Mello was never the same after oh. that. That was like, that was tough. Hey, last night, Chris Paul un- closes out the game with some ridiculous shots. Speaking of bad moments, dark moments. Totally. No, like I said to you guys, we were getting mic'd up. It's his, it's his best garden moment. He finally got one, the banana boat. Everybody gets one. Now. Is this just a, prelude to when he's going to become a Nick this summer. Well, no, the Knicks are waiting for him to turn 40 before they offer the four-year $100 million deal. <laughs> they are still the New York Knicks. Um, they will continue the tradition of aging veterans coming to the Garden for their their final years. Tracy McGrady, Matumbo, uh, obviously Steve Francis, but he was probably expected to be good back then. Um, there's so many guys. Jalen Rose, Quentin Richardson in 2013 when he almost pukes because he was so out of shape. Like, yeah, I think the Knicks have gotten a lot of aging guys, and Chris Paul would fit in in that pantheon really nicely, I think. Do they retire Randall's number 30 or Bernard King's number 30? You, now, see, now you're getting disrespectful. Sorry, sorry. Sorry. Now you're really getting disrespectful. I'm going to pretend Mark Stein. All right, all right. I, I got to come down a little bit. I got to come down a little bit. Sorry. What is the successful year? Like, let's, let's put playoffs plus – offseason look like to you like are your expectations now recalibrated are you have you level set somewhere differently now to be a little greedy it would to be like not in the play-in scenario they get six five four that's i'm a little greedy that's kind of what i want right now i know i don't deserve that i have no no reason to deserve that or be entitled to that if they make the playoffs in any capacity it's a win. Even if they lose a seven, eight game to Charlotte and then lose a, another game to Washington and that's it. If you lose to Charlotte, you're going to be upset. I'm telling you right now. That's trying to be realistic and be big perspective and mature about this and be like, you know, Hey, listen, if they have games that are like past the regular season, that's a win. Ben, I got clarification on the NBA on this. If you, no matter what your seed was, if you make it to the playing tournament, but you do not make it to the part where you start playing best of seven, in the eyes of the NBA, you did not make the playoffs. You are a lottery team. I get that. I want you to reconsider what you just said. Fine, because I don't hold my 2011 playoff hat that I found in the closet the other day with any type yes, of you do. connection. Wow, I lost <laughs> Yes, it. you do. This is the part where you're lying. Yes, you do. Yes, you absolutely do. And you showed us an Obi Toppin preseason game <laughs> headline. Wow, like this is when Mello went for 40 and they like lost in five to the Heat. Wow. Um, but I think this year, honestly, Tom, the goal in the offseason is just no stupid contracts, no four years bloated to somebody who doesn't they're not the money. I don't care how much. Just the time commitment. Like to be in the Courtney Lee business for four years was just awful, you know? And I, I don't want like bloated five years, four years, unless it's like the dude, you know? And I don't think it's this summer they're going to go out and get that guy. A one-year deal with Chris Paul for $30 million. You in? I'm in. Because like I said, I don't care how much of the money it is. One year. Three years at $100 million. I don't know. I don't know. Not not because Chris isn't going to be good in three years. I just, you know, don't know if uh, if Bronny James is going to come straight out of college, like where he's going to come out and I want him to be my, my back. Is that a real thing, by the way, Tom? Three years for Chris Paul is a real thing? I mean, look at him right now. I mean, he's he's got the leverage at this point. Like he just he just took the Phoenix Suns to maybe winning the number one seed in the Western Conference. Oh, this leads me this leads me to one of my favorite hypotheticals Bronny James is coming out in the draft he's a good player a first round player but probably you're stealing like stealing my bit I mean you're stealing my bit maybe like in the 20s or maybe maybe 18 at best right but 
through back channels, you are told that the team that takes Bronny also gets LeBron. For whatever, like, you know, even if you're capped out, he'll come for minimum or for a, a mid-level exception. The Knicks have the number one overall pick. Do you take Bronny James? <laughs> no, you don't. Because, again, LeBron coming to the Knicks as a 40-year-old dad is just don't not. Explain, don't, don't explain it. All right, so, so here's, here's what I'm going to do. What if it's the number two? Well, you know what? I mean, actually, I stand corrected because this is what I really want is you get LeBron at 40, you get Melo to come home, and we get one more I'm coming home Diddy song from Melo coming into the garden. He'll sign as a free agent on the aging Bron, young Bronny team. Melo coming into the Knicks this summer to ride it out, even with Chris Paul. Yes, then Chris Paul gets three years, $100 million in Tom's world. And we get to see that and have D-Wade call the games. I, I love those dudes. And I think it's uh it's gotta be it's gotta be amazing for them to still see like Chris do that last night. You know, like to watch that guy, like you said, at 36, 7, 8, it's dope. What are you doing? What are you doing? Wrap it up? No. no, that's that's you beating around the bush. The question was. <laughs> yeah, sure. Take them. Bring them off. Why not? Two is your cutoff. Not at one, but at two, it's a yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, the Knicks don't get two. I mean, we don't get top three picks. We're not the Lakers. We've got three and four years or something like that. We're the Knicks. We blow top eight picks and still make it. RJ Barrett is a top three pick. What are you talking about? Before that, we besides that, name another. There's nobody. We even talked about how RJ Barrett's five and one in his career against the Hawks. We haven't even talked about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a metric we're keeping track of. Oh my god! I got him. That just sent me. Uh, RJ Barrett's five and one against the Atlanta. We're not even talking about that. You know what's funny is I'm just shocked. As Ben has sat here and said, number thirty should be retired for for Julius Randle. I just asked which one do you retire for. I didn't say who. Asking it is is throwing it out there as as a consideration. As he said, all of this wild off the wall shit. The one thing he hasn't said, which I was waiting for all podcast long, was R.J. Barrett over uh, John Morant. Looking pretty good now. Really good right now. I mean, R.J. Barrett is leading the NBA three-point percentage for players under 21 years old on 200 attempts. What are you guys talking about? He was born the day I graduated high school. It's destiny. Ladies and gentlemen, basketball references play index in in the flesh. Stat head, as they call it now. Oh, that's just following my guys over at RJ Barrett Stats. Thank you for your service. A wonderful Twitter follow. Is that a real account? RJ Barrett Stats. You got 5,000 followers. People want to keep track of the future Hall of Famer. Are you guys kidding? What are you talking about? Oh. He's the Natalie Portman of the NBA. He's like in the professional. You watch her and you're like, oh, she's going to be a star. That's RJ Barrett. She's, he's a child prodigy. It's Maple Mambo. I'm just glad he's shooting over 40% from the free throw line now. Phenomenal dentist, by the way. I want to ask if if it took you trading R.J. Barrett to get like a Devin Booker, Carl Anthony Towns type, would you do it? No, I'm all in on R.J., guys. He's honestly been my favorite Nick since Melo. He's one of my top five favorite Knicks ever. I love him. He's just tremendous. <laughs> Name them. Name them. Melo, Patrick Ewing, Charles Sprewell, Chris Childs, and... R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett's played 80 games. Fuck how many games he played. You live in Starks and Oakley and, and Allen Houston who went out there on one leg. And, and Jeremy Lin. 
Jeez, man. And Amari Stoudemire. RJ Barrett, guys. And Ray Felton. You guys don't get it, man. You don't watch him every night. He's in post for the basketball. All these young dudes are just so up and down. He's so chill. I love Ramon him. Sessions. And- yeah, how dare you. Magic Lampy. Oh, the Magic Lamp, yes. And the Landry and Andy show. Andy Routens. Routens. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. Kevin McHale's not walking through that door. And Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. And if you expect them to walk through the door, they're going to be gray and old. We did this. We did this with Ian Carmel last week. The five worst PERs in Knicks history. And I'm going to just for you, Ben, I just took from the 90s and the 2000s, the aughts. Okay, from 1990 to 2010, the worst five Knicks players who played at least 82 games in a Knicks uniform during that period, 1990 to 2010. This is right in your wheelhouse, I feel like. 90s Knicks, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know these stats. I don't know. I just remember Stefan Marbury scoring three points. I'm going to say the player, and you're going to tell me your favorite memory. doesn't have to be positive or negative. Just whatever's hitting your brain here, Ben. Let's do it. When I say the player's name. Number five, lowest PER in a Knicks uniform during the 90s and 2000s is Chris Dudley. Obviously, remember the Shaq dunk that has now turned into one of the best gifts on the internet, Yale, um, and somehow just like found a way to play in the NBA Finals. Like, how did that happen? He found a way. He was seven feet tall in the starting center, got hurt. But, Dale, the fact he threw the ball like that at Shaq is pretty dope when you go back and look at it. Great accuracy. He had just a fastball. One of those where he threw it and was kind of like, oh, shit, I think I threw it a little too hard. Speaking of those who have... have- only shot 40% from the line. Dudley had the biggest yips of like any free throw shooter in NBA history, right? I mean, is it yips if you're just terrible? Yips are kind of like you got to be good. and then you- It's the Charles Barkley golf swing of, of free throw shooting. But the whole point about Charles Barkley is that he used to have a good golf swing. He used to be like a decent, I'm not saying a great golfer, but like a decent amateur golfer. And then he talked to a golf pro and then his golf swing turned into what it was. And that's why it's the yips because he wasn't always this bad. Oh, yeah, man. It means right. He was historically bad, Chris Dudley. Yeah, Chris Dudley was just bad. He just. Okay. I mean, I don't have the yips if I go on a golf course. I'm just bad at it. True. Yeah, because you don't respect the game. Because you don't respect the game. We established that. Or- Not a bit. All right, this is a friend of the show, so I feel bad about bringing it up. But uh, number four, he played from 2005 to 2009. His PER is 8.4 in a Knicks uniform. Number four on this list is Malik Rose. Oh, oh man. So oh Malik God, Rose man. apparently would host like an annual um, soul food dinner San for the team on the road every year. And my roommate, uh, when I first moved to Los Angeles, was a general manager at Spago. And so Malik Rose would come through with the entire Knicks and just crush Spago, right? And my friend said he's never seen somebody eat as many popcorn shrimps as Nate Robinson. <laughs> It was like ridiculous. The whole team got gathered around, watching just eat so many popcorn chips. But yeah, Malik Rose, um, again, on the Knicks, like well after he was, you know, probably his peak Malik Rose. Didn't he win a title against the Knicks? And then they then they had him? Not they traded for him. Amin was part of the group that traded for him. Right. That's- got a first round pick too, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, what'd you do with that? What'd you turn that into? I turned it to uh, either David Lee or, or Nate Robbins, one of those two guys. David Lee, I think. It turned into David Lee. Ronaldo Bachman, maybe. In 2009, I did a project analyzing the best executives at the NBA draft. 
And you're thinking R.C. Buford, Sam Presti, but the one who is better at getting value above expected according to the draft slot in which a player was selected was Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas was fire at the draft in, in Toronto and in, in New York. Two first-round picks. Two first-round picks for Malik Rose. Okay, there you go. Well, the- That's a great deal. For Malik Rose? <laughs> That's an amazing deal. I stand corrected. So Malik Rose is at number four. Number three is from 2007 to 2009. You already mentioned him in this podcast. Marty Collins. Oh, Marty Collins. Marty Collins is the other pick. <laughs> yeah, Marty Collins. I just, I just love that his name was Marty and it didn't have a T. David Lee was one, Marty Collins was the other. Number two, checking in at 6.2 PER during his four years with the New York Knicks. And I'm surprised it's four. Jerome James. <laughs> I was going to say Jerome James would be number one on that list, but yes, four years in the Jerome James business in the in the two thousands. Yeah, tough tough run for the Knicks, man. You know, it's it's incredible how they have not. I mean, yes, Amari was the f- first big man in two thousand ten since the departure of Patrick Ewing to just be anything. They went through a conveyor belt of just terrible, terrible guys at the pivot from Mike Sweeney and Othella Harrington and Michael Doliak and Clarence Weatherspoon. And I mean, the list went on of just horrible centers and big guys that Knicks had. I don't know where I read this. It was a story about former NBA players who get challenged to pick up games by like randos. And obviously Scalabrini was heavily featured in this article, but the other person they talked to was Michael Sweetney. Yeah. And I'm just like, who's out here? challenging michael sweet need a pickup man that just seems like a lot of abuse yeah it's a lot of abuse man it's just so funny they just like thought the georgetown like center thing was like a real thing and they just rode that out like deep into the (laughs) 2000s and people forget like with the knicks being so bad and you know they haven't been good in forever those teams in like 2003 four five that was the worst. That was worse than it's a mean. I mean, because I lived across the street from the garden. My dad would always say, when they move the Lincoln Tunnel, it'll be a nice neighborhood. And we would get $10 tickets in the upper deck, the Spike Lee NYU school days. Like, that's what I call them, the Spike Lee seats for film school. And you get $10 tickets to sit in the upper deck. They didn't have a dunk in 2003. Someone should look this up. One of your staff friends, they didn't have a dunk till December against the Kings. It was like six weeks of NBA basketball. The team that was didn't... a playoff team, by the way. <laughs> They're terrible. You see that? You see how how spoiled they get. <laughs> gave you a playoff team. It's awful. You guys gave Shandon Anderson like twenty million dollars in a Range Rover to get lost. Did they pay him, or was he already paid and they traded for him? I want to say. I think they bought out Shandon Anderson. Oh, I thought you meant how he, how he got there. Oh, we get we get the amnesty clause. Why don't we like amnesty Chauncey Billups for no reason instead of getting out of Amari's contract? Who's number one on this list, Tom? Number one on the list of the lowest PERs for New York Knicks players to play at least 82 games between 1990 and 2010 is Travis Knight. Oh, man. Oh, Travis yeah. Knight, again, laundry list of centers broken in the middle and post-Patrick Ewing. I don't even really remember the Travis Knight years, to be honest. So Travis Knight, I want to say, came with a deal with the Celtics because Travis Knight was drafted by the Bulls in the first round. Then the Bulls are just like, you know what? Never mind. So I think it's the last time. It's probably happened before in history, but that was the last time it happened where someone was a first-round pick and the team just said, don't bother, right? <laughs> and so he ends up signing with the Celtics. I think that also happened in 1999 with the 15th pick in the NBA No, draft. no. 
No, no, they didn't tell him don't bother. He just didn't come. Right. Okay. There's a difference there, right? So uh, Travis Knight, and then I want he wasn't in the Walter McCarty deal. He was in the Pat Ewing deal. Oh, okay. For Glenn Rice and all that stuff. Yeah, it was Glenn Rice, Luke Longley, Travis Knight, Lazaro Bornell. I mean, can you help me out there? Laz Burrell, Laz Burrell, Lazaro Burrell, Lazaro Burrell, Lazaro Burrell, Lazaro Burrell, Vernon Maxwell, uh, and Vladimir Stepania coming to the Knicks for Patrick Ewing and a bunch of other players. It was in a four-team trade. What, like, what, what was Ben Lyons thinking when Patrick Ewing was traded? I remember his first game back to the Garden with the Sonics, and Mark Jackson was on the Knicks randomly for like the end of his career. He came on at the end. And the two of them like shook hands at, at center court. I was weeping. Like I remember being in this dude's apartment on 14th street, just sitting in the corner weeping. I called my cop, like all my high school friends. I was so messed up, man. I, and then I went to the, the night they retired his Jersey. Uh, I went to Patrick Ewing retirement night. I still have the t-shirt from it. You know, he, I think this, this, this little spat that he had this uh, spring when he was coaching Georgetown and they didn't let yeah. him in the garden and da, da, da. It was nice because it reminded people just how good he was. Like we took for granted having a dream teamer. He took for granted having a 50, he was a 50 greatest player while he was playing. Like right. it was no joke. And it becomes in this generation of the last dance, kind of a punchline and they know him from the Scotty Pippen dunk, but Patrick Ewing's all timer. And we we're very lucky to have him in New York. And Travis Knight. <laughs> so now you question why I decide on a beautiful spring day to put on my starter jacket and walk through the streets after they beat the Raptors to feel that energy. Why you question that now? Because this is what we've been dealing with for 20 years. I, just, I love the way you described it. As a, people are having brunch like it's Sex in the City 3. That's, <laughs> there's so many Mirandas and Samantha's in these streets just toasting. It was incredible. Entourage dudes being like, Vince got the movie. The Knicks are back. It was just awesome. Well, Ben, this has been fantastic. You did a, a great job. We, we didn't even get to how my theory of not trusting adults with braces rings true because of Jared Jeffries. Like, we didn't even get into that. Hold on. First of all, Jared Jeffries is a gentleman, man. That dude's a great guy, man. Jared Jeffries. He was, and he was good for the Knicks. It was just he didn't live up to the contract. That's all. It was just a bad contract. Do you believe that the Knicks decided? You know, Melo's the number three in MVP voting. J.R. Smith's sixth man of the year. Well, let's surround those guys with thirty-five-year-old uh, Pablo Prigioni, forty-year-old Jason Kidd. I was there the night we celebrated. Those guys were good. And Kurt Thomas, Rasheed Wallace, and Marcus Camby in the year two thousand. What are you nuts? They were all good. That was the best season. Because Mello was great. It's because Mello was great. That's why I mean. You had to get a couple more names in there at the end. You had to, Ben. You guys, this is super fun. Shout to Anthony Bonner. Yeah. It's <laughs> Xavier McDaniel sends his regards. Chris Duhon. <laughs> ben, I was I was on the way out. I was even saying thank you for joining us, and then I cut off, and it feels like uh, feels like I just bailed. I just did like an Irish goodbye, and just like it's almost like you asked the audience to invest three hours so they could give an award to somebody who deserved it, and then they gave it to someone who wasn't there. It's almost like you did. What happened there? He texted me and he said, "I'm shocked," and I was behind because I try to rewind to catch the parts I didn't catch. And so I was behind and I was thinking that like something else won best picture. Like nowhere in my mind did I believe like it could have been best actor. Wait a second. I know that's the butt. Yeah, it's the butt. I know that the butt. Counter argument. Now we know for sure that the Oscars have no idea who wins their own awards. 
because they plan to end with this ceremonial Chadwick Boseman honoration. Is that why they rearranged it? I have no idea. They have no idea. Soderbergh promised us it would be like watching a movie and unlike any award show ever. It felt like just a really bad award show. It felt like every award show. I was really disappointed with it. It's not too many ways you can make an award show different, though. That's that's the point. This is the first time it was ever at a train station. Could have had a train come in. That would have been some production value. Train comes through the Haber <laughs> show every once in a while. It is not adding anything. <laughs> yeah, li- little did anybody know, Tom's been recording in a train station this entire time. So, <laughs> Trailblazer. Uh, well, I appreciate you guys having me. It's fun to catch up. It's good to meet you, Anthony. Yes, it's fun. And we'll do it again uh, for the Eastern Conference Finals for Knicks and Nets. Now, that, that would be – if we get both the Subway Series and the Staples Center Series – No, we're not getting that in the Eastern Conference Finals. We're getting that in the second round, baby. 1-4 matchup. Amino Hassan just said the Knicks are getting to the second round. This is the alternate universe we live in. Because they're playing the Hawks. Now, if the Hawks are five. And they can't overcome R.J. Barrett, so. We already know that. We analyze those analytics. The Hawks said one beat the Knicks, so. I mean, this is a great time to be alive. We sure have analyzed those analytics. (laughs) Analytics. Just the hard-hitting analytics. Really deep, sophisticated machine learning analysis by Ben Lyons. R.J. Barrett, 5-1 against the Hawks. Remember that? He had the cell phone on the belt and a men's warehouse suit. That's when he showed up in New York. And then he leaves dressed like Lenny Kravitz on acid with an iced-out menorah. So what happened? New York happened. That's what happened.